Hello and welcome to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast, where it's all about real food and holistic living in the real world. With your host, nutritional therapist, Amy Love. And please note our disclaimer, all information and content in this podcast is for general information only and not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks for joining us on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast. Today we're visiting with Jessica Bischoff from Simple Steps Nutrition. Jessica is a fellow NTP, and I am so excited to be visiting with her today. Jessica, thanks for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Amy. I think that's going to be a lot of fun because I love always visiting with fellow nutritional therapists. And, you know, I think we actually met uh, on one of our Facebook groups. I love how supportive the nutritional therapy community is. The people that have gone through NTA, Nutritional Therapy Association, a lot of us keep in touch online um, and help answer questions about personal health issues or client issues or building our business. And I just love that because. I think that it's really nice to be part of that supportive, cooperative community um, so that we're all there together because it definitely is going to take all of us working together to make a difference, right? I think that's true. And I think one of the, the benefits of that community is that we each have our own um, personal experiences, our own areas of interest and additional research um, and the healing and journeys that we've seen our clients go through. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's one of the things I love about those, our groups is just that wealth of knowledge that's there and um, so freely shared, you know, with other practitioners. In fact, I think the first time I interacted with you, um, you had a request for a supplement you needed for yourself that I was able to source for you when you were on the road, you know? So that was yes. kind of the first time we ended up interacting was, Oh, I can help you out. So I popped that out in the mail to you. Exactly. Yeah. And I just absolutely love that. I think you're right. That's exactly when we met. And it's, um, it's so lovely because, you know, it came from um, a massage therapy background, like right after high school, I became a massage therapist and was sort of delving into alternative health and doing aromatherapy and all kinds of related things. And while I did love my fellow massage therapist, there was a little bit of like almost competition um, in the local area, like, oh, we're, you know, we don't want to share too many business strategies because we're all trying to get clients or whatever. And it just like, I didn't like that. I really felt like it needed to be more supportive. And that's what I love about this. It's so cooperative and we can get on there and just say, Hey, this is what's going on either with me, with my kid, with my client, whatever. And we're all kind of coming from the same background, the same foundational knowledge in our training so that we kind of speak the same language and we know the other person has that foundation so that when we give advice or whatever, you know, it's, it's really well understood. So I absolutely love that. Um, you know, and I love what you said about everybody having their own kind of focus or specialty or whatever. And because that really helps us keep learning. Well, and not only that, but, you know, I think I certainly have this deep sense. I think a lot of other NTPs do as well is that um, not everyone is the right client for me, you know, right. and I don't want to work with clients who aren't the right clients for me because it's not right. good for them and it's not good for me. Um, and so I am so open to helping, um, helping the people I interact with find the best person to help them 
for where they're at. Um, yes. And when I just have this really, you know, solid sense of I don't, I'm not scrambling for business, you know, I'm going to work with the people, the right people. Um, it just really changes that dynamic, you know, so that it's not, it it's not the clawing and the, you know, selfish, um, you know, have to get ahead, but realizing that as a, as a group, we're stronger together. So that's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's something, you know, honestly, I think that, um, at least my experience with NTA, uh, the Nutritional Therapy Association, the instructors in that group, um, and even, you know, the guy who started it, Greg Graham, that's just been, you know, a subtle message, but a present message of those mm-hmm. practitioners. And I think that um, as graduates, that's something that many of us go on to, um, you know, to manifest, as you would uh, in our practices is just that belief that we don't have to, we don't have to work with everyone. We don't have to know right. all the answers. We can do our thing and help those people. Yeah, that's so true. Like we'll attract our tribe and you know, it really is about a mindset. Um, and I think you're exactly right. Like we, we talk about at NTA and, and really in our practices about like the vitalistic principle, kind of this holistic, like, you know, not the fear based, not the um, sensationalist based, you know, some of the medical model, it's very fear-based and um, kind of greed, you know, plays in a role and, and scarcity, that scarcity mindset. When you go over to the vitalistic, it's really holistic and like life affirming and more love-based and like a higher vibrational um, kind of way of thinking. Yeah. And so I think that that, you know, sort of abundance mindset absolutely plays in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So like, I, I guess we've never even talked about this though, but I don't know what um, really brought you to nutritional therapy. I'm always so interested to find out why um, people became nutritional therapists. Yeah. Well, I think um, like a lot of people that is really just a manifestation of my own health journey. Um so my, um, I was, I was blessed to be raised, uh, in a home with, uh, kind of independent thinking parents. Uh, I was actually homeschooled starting in first grade back in the early eighties in California when nobody homeschooled. <laughs> um, so yeah, so starting in gosh, what would have been 1983, um, I was homeschooled back. My parents are pioneers and I love that wow. because they very much raised, their kids to be critical thinkers and to not Mm -hmm. to be people who are comfortable going against the flow Um, Mm -hmm. and not out of a reactionary way, but out of a a really thoughtful way of um, prioritizing what's important and then being willing to go make that happen. And so one of those things was my mom was kind of this um, amateur medical researcher and she had, Mm -hmm. you know, different things most of us do and she would read about them. And so I kind of grew up with that. And then um, developed thyroid problems after the birth of my daughter 14 years ago. And um, through spending a lot, a lot, a lot of time um, reading and researching and looking for better answers, um, became kind of, a, you know, a little expert on thyroid because I, mm-hmm. I laugh and say, I think I have all the books ever written on thyroid disease <laughs> um, because I just kept reading. It was like I felt like there was the magic bullet was out there somewhere if I could just find it. And so right. um, out of that, I became a little bit of an evangelist of telling people, you know, helping people read their labs. And this was just, you know, friend to friend. And, oh, I have a friend who should talk to you. And everybody kept telling me, you should be a doctor. And I would laugh and be like, yeah, um, 
there's no way I could survive <laughs> medical school. Plus, I don't right? want to sign up for that much time and financial commitments. Um, and so, but really short, I had um, just a really big health crash and ended up working with an NTP. Um, oh. And by this point, I had, um, because of my own research, my own experiences, um, really developed my own health philosophy. And so mm-hmm. I was pretty um, careful and choosy with practitioners who I wanted to work with. And so I found this person and started vetting her. Um, and she happens to be one of the lead instructors for NTA. So then I was like, okay, what's NTA? And so I went and looked it up and it was, wow. I mean, first of all, I didn't even know that there like were nutritional therapists or that it mm-hmm. was a thing. Um, and I looked at the program and I was like, that would be really cool because I could start taking a lot of the stuff that I know and it would give me a framework and a certification and some legitimacy in being able to help people with their health. And so exactly. Um, I began working with this NTP um, who was wonderful. She, Ann Fisher Silva is um, an amazing practitioner. And so I was working with her just as a client and really getting well in an amazing way that I had never experienced in my life. Um, and a few months into my nutritional uh, therapy work myself, I enrolled in NTA um, and then went through the program. So oh, cool. that's kind of what, what brought me here uh, in the short, the short version. And isn't it eye-opening when you start going through the program? Like even when you've done all this research before – um, because I, I came to it also through my own health challenges. And like you, I'd read everything I could. And I mean, just like searched and searched and searched for answers because going to allopathic doctors, you know, the traditional medical model, it was not working for me at all. And I was having side effects to all the drugs that they put me on. I wasn't having improvements. I was just adding to my laundry list of daily symptoms and overall just ugh, awful. And so I had done research on my own. I had tried, you know, all these alternative things that I thought I had a really good grasp on it. But wasn't it eye-opening to go through? Didn't you have a lot of aha moments during the training? And you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't know that. Well, yes, absolutely. And, you know, if I'm brutally honest, um, I think I went into it with, you know, I looked at the book list, which is, you know, presented in the course material. Mm -hmm. And I already owned at least 50% of those books. Oh, beautiful. You know, and so I kind of went into it like, I've got this, you know, this is going to be a great program. I know I'm going to learn some stuff. I mean, I didn't think I knew it all, but I kind of thought like I probably know most of it. Um, Not, you know, I learned so much. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think was the most helpful, and it's just a guiding um, part of the work I do with clients is what I call thinking foundationally. Um, Mm -hmm. And that grid of, you know, blood sugar, digestion, mineral balance, hydration, fatty acid, sugar handling, um, and this deep understanding of that these, you know, really vital aspects aren't in a, you know, at least pretty okay, pretty balanced. Um, the body won't be in health. It's just that right. simple. And right. so um, having the framework, for me, NTA provided this framework for which to help people assess their health and prioritize guiding them back to um, a more vibrant life. 
I love that. I really love that. And it is true. Like, you know, I think we all know, go back to the foundations, go back to the foundations, because really, like, even when I'm looking at articles and and kind of critically reading and researching, because, you know, we just, that's all we do all day, right? Like, read new information and work with clients and read new information. So it's like, as I'm looking at new information coming in, it's, I really go through and edit it and go, okay, are they talking about treating symptoms? Are we talking about a consequence? You know, or have they have they been able to dig all the way back to the root, to the foundations, and figure out, like, at its core, are, is this person in balance? Or are we, like, treating something way down the pipeline? Right. Yeah. Right. It's so important. So when you were doing your own... Um, when you were on your own health journey, did you go to traditional medical doctors? Well, um, like I already alluded to, my health challenges really began began around my thyroid condition. So um, I had my first child at age 23 and Uh had a successful, you know, an uneventful pregnancy. Um, Everything was great. I felt pretty good. Um, Didn't gain a lot of weight. And delivered vaginally, um, a little bit rough, but, you know, uh, delivered vaginally. And then a few years later, um, we were ready to have another child. And so we started trying and um, conceived. And I had a miscarriage between five and six weeks. Um, so sorry. So, you know, that was sad. Um, right. And But I knew that miscarriages, you know, were not that uncommon. Um, and so, you know, we tried again anyways, um, long story short is in about nine months, I had three early miscarriages like that. Mm-hmm. And my mom I went through the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So my, yeah. my mom being the medical little, um, geek that she is, um, said, you know, um, recurrent miscarriages tied to thyroid disease. So maybe you should look into that. Well, mm-hmm. um, we have a long history of thyroid conditions in my family and, uh, my aunt, who I lived close to had um, Dr. Shamus's book, Thyroid Power, that she had just okay. read. And I read that book, and it was that moment of reading your own diary. And mm-hmm. it was the, oh, my gosh. I thought that this was how I just felt this way because I was a new mom and I was breastfeeding and, you know, what have you. And right. realizing that all of these little things that I had never put together were all expressions of um, hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, I have the somewhat, um, <laughs> uh, classic story of going to my HMO doctor and saying, I think I have a thyroid condition and can you run some tests? And because I had already read the book, I knew that I wanted him to run my free T3, my free T4, mm-hmm. uh, and my antibodies. The ones that often don't get run. Right. Don't just yeah. give me a TSH. Don't right. just tell me how my pituitary is talking to the thyroid. I want to know how the thyroid is doing. And so, um, interestingly, this uh, HMO doctor, um, he was an osteopath, so mm-hmm. they can be a little bit more um, holistically mm-hmm. minded. Some, some are, yeah. And at a previous appointment, um, he had even mentioned, you know, you have a bit of a goiter or salon thyroid. So mm-hmm. that was from the background. My results came back that um, I had elevated thyroid antibodies. My TSH was like at 4.9, and at the time, the lab that he ran was still using the outdated reference range that went up to 5.5, and he said, you're fine. Well, actually, I got a voicemail 
on my machine. You know, this is early 2000s. I still had an answering machine um, from the nurse that said, your lab results are back and they're fine. Really? Yeah. Even with the antibodies? Yeah. yeah. So oh because they were like, they were like right on the edge of, you know, the optimal range. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's just the whole runaround. So then I had to schedule. It's totally the runaround. And I mean, like how many people are going through that, right? (laughs) So go back in. And I went like, I went back in armed, you know, so like I had my own list that I typed up of 37 symptoms of hypothyroidism. I was experiencing, I had a book, you know, with sticky notes in it. I had a couple articles, (laughs) literally, I all was sitting in my lap and the doctor walks in the room. And so I tried to have a conversation, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't mad. I the, no. I was like, hey, can we talk about the fact that, you know, the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinologists has now recommended that TSH over 3.5 be considered elevated. Um, mm-hmm. I really wanted to have a conversation with them. And, right. And help me figure out what's going on. Like right. be on my team. Right. Exactly. Right. I'm not here to like school you. I'm here to like talk and we're going to have a conversation and I want you to support me. Totally. So he kind of takes one look at all this and looks down at his pad and writes me a referral to an endocrinologist and hands it to me and says, you'll have to see an endocrinologist and walks Mm -hmm. out. Um, Missed opportunity, Doc. Yeah, which was really disappointing because, you know, at this point, I think I've figured out what's wrong with me and I am excited to get help, you know, and I'm thinking, Doc, you're the one who's going to help me. Um, and he kind of opted out of doing that. It's so hard when that happens because it really kind of like destroys your trust in any, in any kind of doctor. I mean, it really does. Like, cause I've been there. I mean, I have fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, thyroid, adrenal, like blah, blah, blah. And stuff really outside of the box. It wasn't like, you know, I could just go in and they're like, oh yeah, it's totally this. It was really outside of the box. And I can't tell you, I mean, I went through dozens and dozens of doctors um, trying to get someone that would listen, trying to get somebody that understood that could put all the pieces together. Um, because I always looked at them as an ally. I always looked at them like, we're going to be a team. Like I'm doing research, like I'm advocating for myself, you know, but it was kind of like a lot of them just wanted to be like, okay, it's this on the insurance form. Here's your prescription that I looked up in the little book and it says, if X, then Y. Mm -hmm. And so, boom, you're done and you're in and out in 15 minutes. They didn't want to have that conversation. And it really destroys that trust. Like you don't really care about me, do you? And even though I don't fit in this box, like, you know, they didn't care about the symptoms. Like you said, 37 thyroid symptoms that you were having and they're going, you're fine. Right. Yeah. It's very frustrating. And what did the, how was the endocrinologist? Did you go? I did go. Of course, okay. it takes you forever to get in with an endocrinologist. I know. Um, and, and of course, I'm sick, you know, and I think, I don't remember for sure because this was like 13 years ago, but I think it took at least three months to see the endo. Wow. Um, and you're feeling bad and you, <laughs> right. have a, you have a baby. Right. And, uh, you know, the ironic thing is the, um, the osteopath had ordered a thyroid ultrasound for me, which was mm-hmm. very good. Um, and I had asked for the radiology report, which said half of my thyroid was non-vascular. And I'm reading this. I mean, at this point, like, it's 
for me, it was like written in Latin. I literally right. had to look up like every word to make sense of and like translate it. But I'm like, how can a gland that's half scar tissue possibly mean that I'm fine? Like, right. does not connect. Oh, but you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. I'm fine. That's normal. So, uh. um, you know, I did see the endocrinologist. She started me on Synthroid. Um, you know, I basically have done an iteration of endocrinologists. Some are good, some are bad. Um, I had one who I was trying to get into as a new patient because my previous endo, who was amazing, um, had closed her practice because she got sued for, you know, being a thinking doctor. Um, anyhow, so I was trying to get up the new endo. I was pregnant. And at the time I was taking a very small amount of Cytomel, which is T3, mm-hmm. along with my Lavoxyl, which is T4. And she walked in the room and looked at my chart and said, you're going to kill your baby. You can't be my patient if you're on this drug. And I said, I said, well, then I can't be your patient because I already knew that that was a safe drug in pregnancy. Um, And, you know, so I stood up and walked out. But it was like, I can't believe people would say something. You're not going to intimidate me. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point, you know, I think the thing is, I just wasn't well. And that's why I kept reading books is I wanted to be well. And at the Mm -hmm. time, I really believed, um, you know, if I could just find the right dose, if I could just get on the right combination of thyroid medication, or if I could just get on the T3 or whatever it was, um, that that would make me feel better. And I went, you know, I've seen multiple endocrinologists, naturopaths, um, physicians assistants who worked in amazing integrative practices, um, and so all along, you know, each one of these people, even if it was a negative interaction, um, there's lessons to be learned there, lessons about right. being your own advocate. And that's something it's a huge one. that's so valuable. Um, you know, lessons about gut health, lessons about enzymes, lessons about better forms of medication for my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and doctors who are really willing to hang in there with me and, you know, um, let me take maybe a dose of medication that made my labs look a little wonky, but I felt better, you know, mm-hmm. and who were willing to um, value how I was feeling and not just lab results. So, um, yeah, I've worked with a lot of different practitioners and, you know, I really, I value um, the practitioners who care about their patients and who are invested in um, seeking better answers and not right. going with the, with the status quo, but man, um, you have to do your homework to find them because they're they're rare, but they're worth their weight in gold. It's so true. And, you know, I mean, I think that's a huge lesson for anybody going through any health challenge. I mean, any, even if it seems really cut and dry, um, it you really have to be your own advocate and you have to speak up and you have to do the research. You can't just take anything at face value. And I mean, I think we can take that across the board. Like as we talk about moving into a real food lifestyle or anything, you can't take anything at face value. You have to learn how to read the labels. You have to learn how to dig deeper because it's you at stake. It really is. And it's like at the end of the day, if that doctor or whatever tells you the wrong thing and you go along with it and blah, 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 it's you that has to deal with the consequences. They can go on with their lives. Right. We're the ones that have to live with it day to day. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, it's a complicated world. I mean, that's why we do what we do, right, to help people um, navigate this world of alternative health and healthy living, real food, all of these things. Um, but there, the information is out there. It absolutely is. 
Well, especially with the internet, you know, I think back, um, let's say even the nineties, you know, yeah. what then the information, like that's, I think why Anne Louise um, Gettleman was so mm-hmm. popular. She brought some of these kinds of, uh, holistic, uh, you know, therapies and diets and nutritional information into the mainstream through her book yes. before the internet existed, at least, you know, as we know it today. Um, right. And so, yeah, the information is there, but now we have the opposite problem, right? Of, Too much. There's so much. <laughs> and that was something a friend said to me years ago before I was an NTC and before I was practicing and I gave her a book that I thought she needed to read about thyroid. And, um, she gave it back to me and she said, you know, sometimes I try and research stuff on the internet, but I just, I don't know what to believe. And it was such a a valuable comment for her to make to me because, um, I realized I have established a health grid and a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to go and read any article um, written by whomever, you know, it could be something from someone who's on the alternative side or someone who's strictly allopathic. Um, and I take their slant uh, into consideration. But because I have my own framework of, you know, which has since been strengthened with the foundations, but I have my own framework of how the body's supposed to work and what health is supposed to look mm-hmm. like. And, um, you know, that Ideally, we don't necessarily require massive amounts of man-made supplements to, you know, maintain health. Um, I'm able to take any piece of new information and filter that through what do I already believe while still being willing to, you know, to add on to that grid and to learn new information. Um, And that can be, I think, really valuable as we're working with clients that we can really help them cut through the noise because there's so much noise. Uh, it can be really overwhelming, but you know, if you kind of have someone on your team, um, guiding you is in, even into what resources to look at, uh, how to look at the science, those sorts of things, it can be really helpful. It really can. And, and that's true. I mean, you know, I guess I started building my grid pretty early because as a child, I was super sick and, uh, you know, just sinus infection after sinus infection and um, all kinds of things. I was actually on antibiotics and steroids from like just after birth until like 12 years old. I've gone through my medical records and I was a child of the 80s. So it was like the new thing, right? Antibiotics for absolutely everything. And when I would start reacting to one, they would put me on another one. And then I would go off for maybe like a week. And then, um, you know, here comes the sinus infection again. So rather than digging deeper, it was like, oh, here comes the new antibiotic. So there was always that kind of stuff. But when I was um, 11 through 13, I had a migraine every day Mm -hmm. for those two years, every single day. And, um, I mean, I couldn't ride in the car for more than five minutes without getting extremely car sick. I couldn't smell certain foods cooking um, without getting sick. The um, regular store-bought bacon, my parents would make that. Even at that time, they microwaved it. So awful to even think about, but they microwaved the bacon. And um, even just smelling that in the house, like I would throw up. Like it was just, I was so sensitive, so on the edge. Um, And I'd gone to doctor, to doctor, to doctor. I was hospitalized for the migraines. They almost did some chemotherapy-type drugs. I mean, it was insane. Wow. Yeah, I almost died from drug reactions three times through this whole thing. And finally, when I got out, I was no better. Um, 
than I had been going in. In fact, I was worse. Um, ended up laying in bed for two weeks at home, like wa- just watching the ceiling fan go around. Every once in a while, I pull out and eat eat saltines and drink a Coke. Like, I mean, this is, it blows my mind, but that's what, you know, I thought I could stomach at the time. But um, a friend's mom said, have, sh- have you tried the herb feverfew? Mm-hmm. And, of course, my family was very, you know, allopathic-minded, and no, we don't even know what that is. And so she dropped off this information, um, and I think a bottle of the herb on our front porch, and that opened my eyes that there was this, like, other way, mm-hmm. that there was another thing. Um, I didn't know that. You know, I'd always just gone to the pediatrician and the neurologist and the ophthalmologist and all these specialists and gone for all these MRIs and spinal taps and all these things, didn't know there was even herbs that you could take or any other way of thinking about things. But I was about 14 when that happened. And so I had great success with feverfew. My migraines went away. Within a couple of weeks, um, they were much reduced. And then within months, like I I didn't have another one um, for a long time. But it was really like starting to delve down that road and go, oh, there actually is another option. I mean, I was the the teenager reading Prevention Magazine instead of like Teen Magazine and Seventeen. I was reading Prevention, and that helped me build that grid. I mean, I think I had Eat Right for Your Type, which, you know, I don't totally align with everything in the book, but that was really eye-opening that food could make a difference. And um, Anne Louise Gettleman absolutely had fat flush, absolutely followed her stuff, Um because it really opened my eyes that there was another way. Right. And I started building that grid really early. So I think, you know, as, I mean, I still had health problems even through my early 20s. Like, it was definitely a long road. Um, but it it was easy to take things and sort of run it through that filter, as you put it. I like that. That filter and go, okay, does this align with me or, do, or not? do I think this works for my body or not? Does this exist in my worldview? Right. Because it is really hard when you research something online and, and you don't have that reference point. You don't have that grid. Um, you, you can b- get pulled around in a lot right. of different directions and kind of go down a lot of different rabbit holes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when we talk about real food, I just think um, this is another area where, for me, some of what I do and don't do with food is tempered by that grid. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading a famous, you know, internet, alternative internet doctor's health stuff, and specifically his diet recommendations mm-hmm. um, years ago, you know. And I just thought, this is so extreme. This is not like living life. And so for me, that wasn't a good fit. Um, and I think when it comes to real food, you know, to, to me, I just want to give people this vision and this excitement for like eating food again. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I think that as the movement has kind of grown, there can there, you know, to me, it's a little bit sad when there becomes um, some of this like almost like religious fervor about it. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, we different people so there's a couple things that I have thoughts on different people have different needs there are some people who are so sick they can't they have no room for wiggle room you know exactly. they have to eat everything 100% optimal all the time forever um, yeah. but not everyone is like that and for those right. who aren't I think we need to not beat ourselves up that we don't do everything perfect you know yes. um, so true 
just the fact, you know, because first we like start to move away from processed food to real food. And then it's like the source of the food. And then it's like people are starting to quibble about which version of pastured is the really good version of pastured. And it's like, well, there's value there and there's value in knowledge and education. And I'm not discounting that. Um, but we need to be able to just go eat some good hamburger that we think, you know, we have reasonably sure of its source and its labeling uh, and not worry about it and enjoy yeah. it and enjoy the people we're eating it with. And right. um, I just think that there's a lot of kind of false guilt that people can put on themselves in this mm-hmm. area. Um, and that's one of the things I tell my clients, you know, I'm not super crazy strict like I'm not going to ask you to you know spend half your paycheck buying exotic perfectly sourced food um, and most well because these are real people they have they have kids they have jobs they have lives outside of just food I mean like you said it's a great conversation to have some of these things because we do need to keep striving to do better and we do need to keep you know researching things and I think that's great because it's going to like inform um, kind of the mainstream but when you've got people that are dealing with health challenges, that are trying to change their lives, that are feeding their families, that have other things to do, we have to, like, have some grace there. And I totally agree that, like, there are some healing times when things might be more restrictive or might be, you know, a little bit more set in stone or we need to be at that, you know, 9,900% um, to heal, um, and sometimes not forever, you know, sometimes it's just a season and we do this and, and we're able to then come back and, and tolerate more of a, a 90, 10 or 80, 20, assuming that that 10 to 20% is still pretty good. I mean, right. I, I've never been a big one for 80, 20, because a lot of people think that the 20% can be Krispy Kreme and McDonald's and sodas galore. And I don't think that I don't like that. I don't think that that really has a place. Um, in, in our lifestyle, but that's just me. But, um, I think a lot of it too is like a pendulum. I've talked before about, you know, when we first kind of learn these things and we watch the documentaries and we read the books and we see the internet and and then we start having like, um, health improvement from lifestyle changes, we kind of do get that religious fervor and it goes like our pendulum swings all the way. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is my box and I'm super strict and in this very black and white, um, your, this food or practice or whatever is either on the list or it's off the list and you're either good or you're bad or whatever. It's very black and white. And then I think the pendulum very often swings back the other way, and people will kind of rebel and they go through this time of like, yeah, I did that and it worked, but it was so hard and I couldn't do it. And even if they don't go back to the Krispy Kreme and the McDonald's and the Taco Bell and all that, they may go back to like, say gluten, if they were gluten free, they may go back to um, just, oh, I'm just going to buy some eggs at the store because I can't stand to have to drive to this farm that's all the way out here and it's totally out of my way and whatever. Um, and then I think the pendulum kind of comes to to rest in the middle with a balance that people find what works for them because they realize that when they kind of went back to some of their old habits, they weren't feeling so great. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, a lot of the problems came back and so they needed to come back to the middle and go, okay, yeah, I need to source. Well, I need to cook from scratch. I need to do these kind of things, but you know, maybe I don't have to like do all my own ferments. You know, I can buy kombucha or I can buy cultured sauerkraut or pickles or whatever and maybe I can do the pastured um, 
who are organic, um, chicken from Whole Foods every once in a while, you know, like whatever it needs to be to make it work for them. Totally, totally. Yeah. Because it's hard sometimes to find these sources. It's hard to keep, um, you know, figuring everything out when you've got life challenges, when you've got the family, the job, whatever, when you move. I mean, I know you guys just went through a move. We did, and um, we we and that was actually our move and our we so we moved from Redding, California, Northern California, um, to Phoenix, and that mm-hmm. in a sense that's been part of my healing journey too. Um, my big horrific ugly health crash happened when we were living in Maui, Hawaii, okay. uh, as mm-hmm. a family, and there was a lot of different stressors, uh, physical, emotional, relational, uh, relationship, financial. Um, I was kind of felt very stuck working in a job I didn't enjoy um, and then got trapped in the ocean in this kind of life and death scenario and had to really exert myself way beyond what I would normally ever put myself in a situation. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Praise God came out of that. Okay. I wasn't hurt. My husband wasn't hurt. Um, and we could have been. Uh, but yeah. my health, it was just that drastic adrenal crash after, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I was already at the tipping point and it just knocked my feet out. Pushed and you so, way over. Yeah, totally. And um, so that was coming up on the summer. I asked my boss if I could work part-time during the summer because um, that was our, our light season. I was working in an accounting firm um, as a manager there. He agreed to reduce schedule. I thought this is going to be great. I'm going to rest. I'm going to go to the beach with the kids on the days I'm not at work. And um, instead, I basically sat on the couch. If I didn't have to be at work, I was laying on the couch. Mm -hmm. And after um, about five weeks of this, my husband was like, this isn't okay. You know, not not in a bad way, but like we have to fix this. Something's wrong. We have to change this. What do you need to get well? And um I was, at the time, I was rereading uh, a book called Autoimmune, the Cause and the Cure, um, mm-hmm. which is very much based on kind of the Weston Price model of eating, of whole food and so forth. And um, it just kind of was the right book at the right time and reignited this passion of I need to be able to eat differently in a way that um, it's not impossible to eat real food on Maui, but it's very expensive. It's expensive it? to eat there anyways. Um but like, you know, if I wanted to eat actual pastured eggs, they're, you know, $10 a dozen, um, wow. if you can find them. And goat milk, I could only find one source of raw milk, which was somebody who had a goat who was willing to sell it for $50 a gallon. You know, it was just like a little ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Um, wow. So long story short, we moved to Reading. Um, I had family there, my family, you know, my mom's a holistic eater. And so I had my source of raw milk. I had my source of grass-fed beef. I could buy eggs from my girlfriend, you know, um, and my job basically was to get well. And so we knew that Reading wasn't going to be a long-term um, place for our family. We didn't kind of know what would be next. And so as, you know, life goes, we're here in Phoenix now. Um, and life gets crazy, you know, during those transitional times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does. So, you know, I've, I've got three kids, um, 14 11 and nine. So I've got them in wow. high school and elementary school and we're doing everybody's super busy. Yeah. You know, it's like ballet and dance and sports and, you know, um, I, what saves my sanity is menu planning and batch cooking. And this week I was, you know, I tore the whole kitchen apart all Monday morning, put a bunch of food in the freezer 
Um, and it just makes it, it just is a lifesaver because if, nice. you know, if I don't have some of those things, then we do, you know, we right. end up grabbing fast food, uh, and better fast food, you know, like, well, let's go pick up Chipotle or something. Mm-hmm, uh, exactly. <laughs> but even my kids refused to eat at McDonald's and, uh, you know, but it was really funny. Actually, the other day we were at Costco and they always laughingly try and put stuff in the cart that they know. Of. <laughs> and um, they're like, let's see if mom catches it. Right. So they walked right by this box of like Twinkies and hostess cupcakes. And uh, <laughs> they did not know what they were because they've never had them. I was like, I guess. You know. Mom win. Parenting yeah, win. <laughs> totally. 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 So, That's uh, so funny. for me, it really comes to organization because I'm busy. I mean, my kids are busy. I'm running my nutritional practice. I'm always reading when I'm not working with clients. You know, that's like what I do for fun is right. out on research. Um, and to be honest, like, I don't hate cooking, but it's not like my favorite thing to do. I would a million times rather watch a webinar on some geeky neurotransmitter seminar <laughs> than cook dinner. And so yeah. a lot of times I do. And then I'm standing in the kitchen at 530 and have hungry people there and trying to figure out what to make. Um, so trying to be proactive with that and get the vegetables prepped, get the meat in the freezer, you know, throw it in my instant pot. Do you have an instant pot yet? Those are oh, my God. Best. I'm insanely instant. in love with my instant pot. Yes. My, Seriously. My friend so got <laughs> one and started talking about it. And so finally I, I got one on a... Black Monday, right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I use the thing like almost every day. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I got mine for Christmas. And I mean, I, I had heard people talking about it. And, you know, right now, of course, we're in the RV. We're on real food road trip. So we are in 400 square feet. And so we have to be really choosy about what we bring on board. And I did have a slow cooker, you know, my crock pot. But, um, and I saw this and I was like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'd seen people talk about it on and off for a while. Um, but then I saw a lot of people like in the, in the RVing community kind of talk about it. And I thought, huh, that sounds really interesting. And so I got one and oh my gosh, like I have thrown out the crock pot. I don't even need it. This is amazing. Like I make all my broth in there. You know, that is the best thing to make the homemade bone broth in the instant pot. I put the bones from one chicken And then, like, I usually have a bag in the freezer, so it's, like, you know, a few leg bones extra or whatever. But I throw that in the Instapot, three quarts of water, and then do that for 120 minutes on the soup function. And it is better. I swear to you, the two-hour broth is so much better than I would make in two days before on a conventional, you know, stovetop. It gels like jello. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. I love it. And you yeah. know what I love? I love the fact that it doesn't stink up my whole house because yes. I hate it when my whole house smells, especially like beef. I would always do my beef broth outside because I just thought it yeah. smelled like a cow. It drove me crazy. Yeah, it's strong. It's really strong. And then, you know, when you have to do that for two, three or whatever days, it's like, oh, my gosh, my house smells like soup and I cannot stand it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm real sensitive to smells like that. Of course, like I'm always diffusing my essential oils and like whatever anyway. But um yeah, that's huge. And just being able to throw something in there from frozen, um, I've done that like a lot. That has saved dinner for me many times. Mm-hmm. I try to be good about the meal planning and the batch cooking too. In fact, I'm working um, with 20 dishes right now. Have you done 20 dishes? I have not even heard of them. 
20 Dishes. You've got to check it out. It's my really great real foodies who have done this, but it's the number 20 and then dishes.com. And um, they do like either just like real food or clean eating, um, paleo, the autoimmune paleo, um, gluten-free, whatever. I think there's a lot of different things that you can pick. Um, But it's like the menu plan and then it gives you a shopping list and you can, it automatically generates a shopping list and you can even go up or down on your servings. So like if you know this night you're only going to have two people, but this night you're going to have six people or whatever, you can change all that on your menu plan and it'll, it'll change it on your shopping list, which is amazing. And then, um, they give you step-by-step instructions on how to prep for what your menu plan is going to be. So like Sunday, you'll go into the kitchen for like an hour, hour and a half. I mean, Orlitha, I did another podcast on this, but Orlitha is so amazing. She's got her prep down to like 40 minutes. Um, but for some of us, it'd be an hour, hour and a half. And um, you get everything ready for the week. And then it takes you like 10, 20 minutes, if that, on a weeknight to like throw it all together. Love because it. everything's already prepped. I know. Love it. So you don't have to sit there and, like, figure it all out. Mm-hmm. But when I'm not good about that, the Instapot has saved my butt because <laughs> I can take something frozen and throw it in there. You know, I did, uh, what did I make last week? It was, like, short ribs. Um, I had some grass-fed beef short ribs in the freezer. You know, typically that's going to be a six, eight-hour ordeal um, with the slow cooker. you got to braise first. got to do all this stuff. I threw it in the Instant Pot. I didn't braise. I didn't do anything. Just threw my seasonings in. I make a puree of, like, um, carrots, onion, garlic, celery, tomato paste, and broth. I throw all that in the Vitamix, make a sauce with it, pour it over the short ribs, put it on, and I swear in two hours, not even two hours, it's ready to go. I reduce the sauce and boom. That was it. So easy. So tell me that. totally saved the day. (laughs) If... What's, how big is your fridge and your freezer? Because I think that would be my challenge with RV life is that limited freezer fridge space. How do yeah, you make that could, work? We couldn't. Well, we don't make it work because we couldn't we couldn't go with that. Like we bought a model like our house. It really our RV is really a house on wheels. Like our fridge and freezer. It's a conventional kitchen fridge freezer. It's a French door, you know, uh-huh. t- double door up top and the. The freeze on the it's exactly the same as I had at the farmhouse. Exactly the same. Gotcha. That's yeah, fun. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't deal with that. No, no, no. And I have a pantry, and then I have um, because we that was the thing is like we looked at a lot of models um, before we decided on this, and the floor plan had to be just right. The kitchen had to be, you know, I wasn't going to compromise on things like that. And so it was like we're if we can't find the right thing, we're not doing this. And so, um, yeah, it's residential size, and then I have the pantry, and then I actually have another couple cabinets that I can use for pantry goods if I need to, but I often don't have, you know, spillover um, into those cabinets. But, yeah, I've got my Berkey on board. Um, I can brew kombucha. I was just talking to Hannah Crum um, from Kombucha Camp the other day about that because I had sort of, you know, when I had the farmhouse, I was making three, four gallons of kombucha a week and, um, or getting them going. I guess they took about two weeks, but, um, I didn't think I could do it on the road because I thought we'd jostle the cultures around and they wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. And she was like, Amy, these cultures have been around for thousands of years. They think you think they haven't been jostled. And I'm like, well, totally didn't think about that. Yeah. (laughs) 
you think it's got to be this like perfect science, right? So yeah, it's absolutely like being at home. I mean, we have our laundry on board. We've got our king size bed. Like it had to be home. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. No, I can't deal with reduced uh, kitchen. Like having less countertop space is enough of a challenge. When we, um, you know, we just moved and um, that's actually, we almost bought one house and things fell apart. And of course, whenever that happens, you're always like, why? But that ended up buying, the kitchen is so amazing. Um, The huge countertops, you know, the big pantry. And I swear when we moved half of the boxes, well, (laughs) uh, half the boxes are either kitchen crap or books. Right, Um, right. I went so the rest of the house super fast, but the books, oh my word. And I've got like, I, I purge my books about my health books, but like the rest of the books, we just are readers. So I have so many books about everything. Um, but yeah, and nobody wants to help us move because books, books are heavy. You have to pack. Oh my gosh. They're so heavy. There's a pro mover tip. We've moved. Um, well, this is the ninth house we've lived in in the last seven years. So packed wow. books and small boxes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I love love my kitchen, the countertops, and, uh, you know, lots of countertop space. That would that would be the killer for me, living in an RV. Yeah, you know, I really had to get used to it. But luckily we have this island that, like, pulls out, like, when we're driving or whatever, we don't need it. Like, it stores away, but then it pulls out when we need it. And that doubles the countertop space, which super helps. Um, and then I've got, you know, I just have to be more organized with that. Like I have to think in terms of, you know, when I'm adding something and like when I'm going to be doing my chopping, you know, I can't be doing chopping and I don't know, like dishes at the same time. Of course you can't do that anyway, but (laughs) I can't like have things everywhere at the same time. And so I just have to sort of like get the meat going on the stove and then, or whatever I'm doing and then pull out the island and do the chopping and, I don't know. It's got like a a dual. I need to do a tour. I need to do a photo tour, but I've got um like a double bin sink. So it, you know, I can still like have dishes on one side that I need to do um and then have the other side for washing vegetables or whatever. So it really is set up well. It's just been a little bit of an adjustment because the farmhouse kitchen was enormous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I held cooking glasses in there with 10, 12 people no problem. So it was big and I had, you know, island space and all that, but to be honest, I've cooked in so many different kitchens over the years. When we lived in Connecticut, our kitchen was small. It probably was about this size. Like, I walked in and I'm like, there's not even a drawer for silverware. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they were thinking. It was a house from the 50s. Um, super cute, but I don't know what they were thinking in the kitchen. And then, um, you know, my Texas house, we had a really big kitchen there. So I've kind of gone from, like, big kitchen, little kitchen, big kitchen, little kitchen. And so it's always been an adjustment but the thing is is like you can make real food anywhere you just have to that's true. sometimes be a little more organized that's so true absolutely so i'm thinking of one time we were it's kind of a funny story we you know when we take road trips before we had the rv um we would take um like a little hot plate with us so we would have a burner and i would make our soup was a big one either soup or like beef and broccoli something I could like reheat really easily and I would just take a pan um kind of like a wok or a it was a a pan a saucepan with sides and so I would take that and then um reheat it on the road and you know it would be packed in a mason jar or whatever in our cooler and I would just dump it out and then a lot of times we didn't have you know a whole setup for like bowls and dishes and all this sort of stuff but um, we would eat them out of the mason jars mm-hmm. 
And it totally worked out great, and we were super committed to doing that um, because otherwise you're not going to feel very good, you know. We, we just weren't going to eat the crap food on the road. Right. So having a whole kitchen is, like, really awesome. I think one time we even made um, Capello's, you know, the grain-free um, paleo pasta. We right. had one of their, um, what was it, the gnocchi. Um, we were on a road trip. We got stuck in a snowstorm. We had to um, get off the road and get a hotel. We did not have food planned at all um, because we were supposed to be home. And so I had nothing. There was no store around. Little tiny uh, town in the middle of, I think we were actually in New Mexico because we were going back to Dallas. We ended up with a snowstorm off I-40, got this little hotel room but right before they shut off the interstate. And so the only thing I had in my freezer was some Capellos I had been able to buy because they don't sell it all over the country. So I'd been able to buy it, I guess, in Arizona or New Mexico, and I was taking it back with us. So we ended up making it in the coffee maker. Oh, my goodness. In a coffee pot at the hotel. and it <laughs> That's awesome. And it totally worked. It totally worked. <laughs> that is awesome. So you have to be creative. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and a little bit sure. crazy. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. That's so funny. Well, how's it been like sourcing um, food like in your new place in Phoenix? Like, have you been able to like connect with the farms that you want and like find what you want? You know, I really haven't yet. Um, just to be perfect. It takes time. Well, it does take time. I moved here. Um, you know, every real foodie would get this. Uh, I moved here with two ice chests full of grass fed beef and dry ice from my farm in Northern California. Um, so I came, you know, set on beef. And um, here in Arizona, we can get raw milk at Sprouts. So I've got, you know, which is, I haven't, I, and I'm not even sure if there would be a source. There might be here. I'm in Phoenix Metro. Um, Okay. So, you know, that's kind of one of the challenges about living in Arizona is, um, you know, a lot of other places, when you get away from the city, people are farming. And here, right. um, not so much, you know, it's pretty, pretty desert up there. Um, yeah. so it does make some of that stuff, especially locally sourced things more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I mean, th- to me, the beef is always the big one. Uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm still, I mean, again, I'm kind of coming to the end. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's kind of my next adventure is trying to get plugged in. And I know a few other NTPs here who've, you know, been kind and sent me like their sources on different things. But, um, you know, I'm also kind of, I'm a little bit cheap. So, um, and I've got a big family, you know, I've got teenagers. And so I have to kind of make that work of like, I can't just because there is a source of this amazing, you know, pastured chicken for $35, that's not going to work for us. Uh, at $35 a bird or what have you. Um, so, you know, finding those things that are, um, you know, good quality and also work with our budget and are um, sustainable. And that's kind of one of the things I talk about with clients is you can go whole hog and do some, you know, um, like I had a client who was um, doing the maker's diet Mm -hmm. and felt really good on it. And I said, well, you know, that's great. Is that sustainable for you? That level of commitment to that? Um, Because I think sustainability is kind of one of the most important things like Mm -hmm. because once you're in your routine and that's sustainable now you can do the next thing 
do the next right. thing, find the next source, tweak the next thing, cut out this, or start soaking your nuts, you know. But if you try and do everything at once, um, it's not sustainable, you know. Mm-hmm. It, you'll just you'll give up because it's too much. Um, so yeah, that's kind right. Because if you overnight, you're like what soaking grain to make your sourdough bread, and then you're soaking seeds and nuts to throw them in the dehydrator to reduce the phytates, and then you've changed everything to grass-fed and organic. You find a raw milk farmer, you find you know your your chicken farmer and your beef farmer, and you've bought everything in bulk. And I mean, it would drive you crazy trying to do that overnight. Well, and, it's got to be a process. And the other thing is, and this I think is one of the cruel ironies of life. Sometimes the people who need the most um, particular food are the sickest. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to do all that when you feel like, you know, you can't drag yourself out of bed. Um, And so giving yourself grace, doing what you can do, having somebody help you prioritize of what's the most important. I have a client who's um, I'm working with both her and her husband and he has, um, really extensive food reactions right now. And so, um, you know, she's cooking for him according to like the 30 things he can't eat. Um, Mm -hmm. and she's got a pretty good case of adrenal fatigue going on and she's Mm -hmm. homeschooling, you know, little kiddos. And, Mm -hmm. um, she was asked, she's exhausted and overextended. Right. And she was asking me about soaking nuts. Um, and I said, you know, she's made a lot of changes. And I said, right. yes, it's wonderful. And if you have the capacity, absolutely. But this is not, and she had read it in Dr. Wilson's excellent book on adrenal. Mm-hmm. I said, this is not going to make or break you getting Exactly. Help, you know? This isn't the last straw. There are more important things like eating a blood sugar balancing diet. That will um, impact you getting well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right. soaking your nuts, not so much. You know, and it's not, not so that, that it's not that it's not great, <laughs> um, but for their particular needs right now, it's not a top priority. It's priorities. That's the thing. It's about picking the top priorities. And to be honest, there's so many companies that are coming on board um, with real food and ancestral, you know, traditional preparation, all of these things, that some of these things can be sourced. Now, I, I agree, some of these things can be very expensive um, to buy. You know, but there are companies making this. So if somebody is like really um, in a pickle right now and they need to, um, you know, eat this way, but they can't, they don't have the energy or whatever, they don't have help to get this done, like they can buy in a lot of things from different companies and, and that, that helps. Like at least it's there. Right. Yeah. But it's all about choosing what would be the most impactful thing right now, you know, change the sources of, you know, for me, like one of the biggest things I start with is changing out people's fats, because if they're using that, you know, Wesson canola oil or vegetable oil or soybean oil or, you know, Crisco, or I'm like, let's just get that out. Let's bring in coconut oil and butter. Mm-hmm. That's an and easy, oil. <laughs> and olive oil and avocado oil, you know, whatever yeah. works for you. Um, but let's switch that out because if they're buying margarine, they can just as easily buy butter. Right. And then they can buy organic butter and then they can, right. you know, because then we can upgrade. They can't go from buying, you know, butter or margarine at 79 cents a pound to buying $9 a pound perfect local butter. You know, right. most people don't. Most people, there's a reason they're buying 79 cents a pound margarine, you know, right. and you got to work with that. 
Exactly. So what, you know, exactly what is going to work for them at that time? And then when they, when can they upgrade? And luckily it's, it's becoming easier and easier because Sprouts, natural grocers, Whole Foods, local natural food stores, online suppliers, Amazon's got tons of stuff. Costco's coming on board in a big way. Yes. And that's really helpful, especially for people that do have large families or are feeding a lot of people or are doing like a once a month shop or whatever. Very important to be able to get all that, you know, at, at one place. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's cool. I do. I love it. I do a lot of shopping at Costco and then, uh, you know, for they have so many more organic things than they used to. Oh, my um, gosh. It's amazing. They have coconut oil. They have avocado oil. Yeah. It's great. Um, and some yeah, some locations, I think, are a little crunchier than others because it's interesting. Yeah. As you, you probably see this. As you travel the country, like, some stores have more selection and mm-hmm. uh, and Sprouts here and then Trader Joe's. Um, right. So, oh, I forgot about Trader Joe's. Yeah. Love Trader Joe's. Yeah. yeah. You just have to be choosy. That's the thing. It's like a lot of people go, oh, Trader Joe's isn't as healthy as, you know, I'd like it to be. That's absolutely true. You cannot just go in, just like you can't go into Whole Foods and just get anything and go, well, it was at Whole Foods, so it's fine. Like, you still have to read the labels. Right. Um, but there's a lot of options there, and I've been able to save a lot of money um, by getting some of the stuff there instead of somewhere else. It was really interesting about the other week I was at, at Trader Joe's checking out, and uh, the, the checker was, you know, ringing up my purchases and bagging them as she does. And she looked down about towards the end of my order, and she goes, wow. She goes, you shopped really well. She's like, you've got a lot of food for what yep. you spent. Um, and I think I spent like around $110, which was not my mm-hmm. whole grocery budget for the week. But I said, yeah, because I'm buying ingredients. I'm not buying processed food. Exactly. And the lady in line behind me goes, oh, she's like, yeah, because all I'm buying here is processed food. And I mean, they do have yummy convenience items and they are right. free of some of the more horrible offenders. Some of them are, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you're buying ingredients because you're right. going to cook, um, it's a lot more. It's, and that's one thing, you know, people just when they're coming into a real food way of eating, if you just start start shopping and you're buying produce and you're buying meats and you're buying some grains, um, you know, if you're eating grains and you're buying your eggs, it's a lot cheaper to buy it and cook it yourself than, yes. have, you know, the pre-made this and the packaged that. Right. And it doesn't have to be like fancy meals. Like we're talking about just like getting a whole chicken and throwing it in the oven to roast it with some vegetables. I mean, it does not have to be complicated. Well, anybody who follows my Instagram knows I do not cook fancy meals. And most of the photos that I post on there are like on paper plates because I don't want to do dishes. Like that's not a priority for me. You know? Right. You have to, you have to pick your battles, right? Totally. Totally. Especially with a big family and, you know, very active family. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, we have small kids or whatever. And they're like, once we get out of this season, like it's going to be easier. But every season of child rearing kind of has its own things. Like, you know, when the kids are older and they've got, you know, friends and all this stuff going on and all these, you know, extracurricular activities and whatever. I mean, it's busy. You know, and the other thing is families go through different seasons. I've Mm -hmm. been a stay-at-home homeschool mom. I've been uh, working outside of the house 40 to 60 hours a week, mom of little kids. And now my kids are a little bit older and I have a nutrition practice that I'm running from my house with kids. Mm-hmm. 
And each one of those stages, like when you're homeschooling, because you're physically home in the kitchen, it's a lot easier to throw, you know, soak the the nuts or throw this in or get that started. Um, When you're out of the house at 630 and home at 630 every day, five days a week, Mm -hmm. that is tough. You know, right. you're have to, and, and yes, you can do it on the weekends, but guess what? You didn't see your kids all week. So right. I didn't want to come home and spend like all my time in the kitchen. Right. Um, right. So you have to learn with, you know, with the season of life, your family's in and your the season of life, your budget's in and the season of life, your health is in how to prioritize. And sometimes that fits together pretty well. Sometimes it's challenging. Um, but it's not going to look the same for you that it looks for somebody else. And that's okay. It doesn't have to look the same. Right. Nothing's going to look the same. You know, we we talk a lot about the continuum of healthy and like people think that healthy is this town that you're going to get to and live there and everything's going to be peachy keen. And it's not like that because life is up and down all the time. It ebbs and flows. There's always things going on. There's always outside influences, you know, Things are coming around. People think, oh, I'm never going to get sick again, you know, when I get healthy. It's like it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. But you can build in resilience. You can build in the ability to be able to ride out those ups and downs a lot more smoothly and have tools in your tool bag so that you go, okay, this is going on. This is a time of a lot of stress for us or everybody around us is sick right now. Let's go to my tool bag and pull out these things that I know are going to help support us in these times so that we can ride it out. It's the same thing there with, uh, you know, sourcing food, meal planning, whatever. And I'm just super excited that, you know, things are becoming more mainstream, that this is easier to source this food. And and even, like you said, if it's not the most pristine, pastured, organic, this and that, like, you can still find food at many stores that's clean. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's huge. And just eating, like, food, you know, instead of, like, the food product. (laughs) Right. Right. The... I had this, just this moment, um, I was walking through Safeway and I rarely go to Safeway sometimes. Like if I just need that one thing and it's the closest mm-hmm. store. Um, I find I always need like toilet paper and paper towels and Kleenexes and Ziplocs yeah. from a regular store. Like I can't get that. Right. I don't like the whole food stuff. I don't like the, the paper towels and the toilet paper there. Like I'm very specific about which ones I like. So I'm walking through Safeway and this is like a big, nicer, newer Safeway, right? Mm-hmm. And I forget, honestly, I do not remember what I went in there for. It was just like one or two things. Um, and I'm like, and I ended up walking from one side all the way to the other because of what I needed. And I'm walking through and I'm like, you know, this is a grocery store. And most of the products in this building are not actual food. Yeah. And I'm like, like 90% how or sad higher. that culturally, you know, it, culturally that is accepted as food. And yet right. it really isn't actually food. No. Um, you know, and then on top of the processed food products that are, you know, really not fit for consumption. Um, you know, then there's like the toxic candles that are overwhelming you and mm-hmm. the chemical, you know, the laundry aisle. Yeah. And oh my God, know, that thing smells. <laughs> it's just like, to me, it's, um, it just says we have a lot of work to do, whether we're yeah. practitioners or whether you're, you know, just a person who's choosing to live a more, um, aware lifestyle of sharing this information with the people around us. Because I think, you know, a lot of people are just ignorant. Um, They're not poorly intentioned. You know, I know very few people who are actually poorly intentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of ignorance. 
And so, um, just, well, they just weren't taught. I mean, right. our parents, like, and grandparents, sort of somewhere in there, whether it was your grandparents or your parents, someone lost the message, and so we didn't get it. And our kids, many of our kids, aren't getting it. You know, we're, these aren't things that are taught in school. This isn't like the cultural norm that things need to be. You know, in fact, there's a lot of financial interest in like not teaching us these things. So, it's really overwhelming for people. Um, when they don't, they just don't know. They literally right. don't know. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, as as we do our work and as people's lives are changed, as our lives are changed, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are the best evangelists for how life is supposed to be lived. You know, eating right. real food, not killing yourself with toxic chemicals and smells and perfume. And um, it's, it's an experience exciting opportunity because I think that there is a lot of interest. I think there's a lot of people who are fed up with um, being sick and not feeling good. And, mm-hmm. you know, people want to do what's natural. That's kind of what they say. Well, I want to do what's natural and they don't know. Right. And so, and the other thing is that being sick isn't natural, you know, so right. it's not like doing nothing is not the answer. Um, and so we just have this, this tremendous ability to, um, to impact our world and our community, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool, and I think the biggest thing is sharing. It's sharing the story. Share, you know, I mean, we've all been there um, on on many different journeys. You know, we've been there. We've been the ones that are sick. We've been the ones shopping at the grocery store or going through the fast food drive-through or whatever. Um, and it's really important to share the difference in our lives now mm-hmm. because um, – it's it's huge, and I think that's the biggest thing is just getting the word out there to people. So I so appreciate you spending your time with us today. This has been really great to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, super fun. Loved it. Good. Well, thanks for being here. And, again, I will have um, links to your website and everything that we talked about on the show notes today. So those listening, if you'll go to realfoodwholehealth.com under podcast. You'll see this episode and all the show notes for today. Jessica, thanks again for being here. Have a great day. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. And please remember to leave us an iTunes review. Also, head over to our website at realfoodwholehealth.com and enter your email to receive free goodies, discounts, updates, and more. See you next time on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast.